welcome to Speak the Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. Hey, if you guys haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you, chock full of all kinds of dog training, dog information, animal information. You're going to want to check it out. Yes. Now, on today's episode, first up, we have a segment called Listen to Your Dog. We're going to talk more about how you do that, right? What that entails, how you actually listen to your dog. Not really listen to your dog, but listen to your dog. Are you hearing your dog? Let's find out today. Then we're going to have a segment called Zoom Calls Without Your Dog. (laughs) Hey, how many of us over the last year and a half have been on Zoom calls and experienced the barking in the background? No, we got to get rid of that. You're going to learn how today, right? Yes, then we're going to have our Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going today, and before we hit that trivia question up, I have some news to share with you. My wife and I, last week, we added another dog to the pack. Yes, we adopted another dog. We're up to five dogs now. We got ourselves a blue tick coonhound. Oh, yeah. A lot of dog right there, that's for sure. Uh, We went down to a wonderful rescue down in Loxahatchee, kind of West Palm Beach area in Florida, for those of you unfamiliar, and we went to the Big Dog Ranch Rescue. What a phenomenal place, phenomenal facility, phenomenal staff. I can't say enough good things. Really just a wonderful experience from start to finish, from the first reach out to them through the adoption process, meeting our our new addition. Um, And it was awesome. It was great. It really was. And look, he came with a name. He he actually we we didn't we didn't name him. He came with a name and we decided to let him stick with that name. He's a little over a year old and his name is Nemo. Yeah, he's a blue tick coonhound named Nemo. Go on my social media, check out some pictures of him. I'm going to post those up there, uh, well, today, today when the episode comes out, right? And what a, what a cool little pup. Now, it's not to say he doesn't, doesn't come with some issues, you know. Um, Nemo was returned twice. Yeah, he was returned. He had been adopted out twice and returned both times, you know. Look, guys, it's a blue tick coonhound, and I will do a Breed of the Week feature on them in a couple weeks here coming up, Uh, but they're a lot of dog. They are a lot of dog. They are a coonhound through and through, and, you know, they have a lot of energy, a lot of drive, and you really have to know what you're doing to be able to work with a dog like that, and I'm, I'm so proud of him. Look, right now, he's actually passed out asleep in a dog bed next to me. He's come a long way in even the short time we've had him, but we still have a long way to go. We definitely have to get through the adjustment period. He's in a, you know, he's, 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 he's been adopted guys. He's been through a lot. He's been returned to the facility multiple times. And uh, we have to have that understanding going in and anybody out there, if you're considering adopting a dog, if you have adopted a dog and maybe it's only been a little bit of time, give it more time, give it more time, guys. These night, these guys need time to adjust. Nemo is definitely going to need some time to adjust. He needs some structure. He needs some rules. He needs some boundaries. Uh, clearly he hasn't had much of it in his life, the poor guy, and he's already doing so much better with it. He's been getting along great with the other dogs. Riker definitely loves him. And look, you know, maybe this is, and I'm, Hey, I'm not that old, but it's kind of dating me a little bit. I guess we look at it this way. We've got commander Riker, right? He's named after star Trek next generation. And then this guy's going to be captain Nemo. (laughs) 
I know you Disney fans out there probably want him to be Nemo, Nemo, but we're going to make him Captain Nemo. I like that. I like that a lot. So we have Captain Nemo and Commander Riker. <laughs> so fantastic. Any of you who don't know Captain Nemo, you can go look that up if you aren't familiar with it. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You go check it out, <laughs> you youngsters. Um, anyway, great dog. Uh, he, like I said, came with us with came with some issues, uh, some nothing crazy, nothing out of control. But he's he's got some anxiety issues. He's got some separation anxiety uh, issues we're working on, and you know he freaks out in the car. Although that has come a long way in a short amount of time, we made so much progress with his with his car uh, issues in a short amount of time. Um, actually, I'm gonna post those pictures too. I'll show you. I had like three, I took like three pictures in the car after we adopted him. A little bit of a progression of like this was 10 minutes in, this was 20 minutes into the drive, and here we are 25 minutes in, and he was he was pretty darn relaxed. Uh, not not perfect, but man, night and day from from what I was told, how he reacted before with other people who who had adopted him previously. Uh, so he he's got some you know a little rough around the edges, but what a sweetheart! What a gorgeous, handsome looking boy he is. And I'm so excited to train and work with him and give him a better life, you know? Um, so pretty fun. One little, one little note about him. He does have a tail. Any of you guys that are going to see it in the pictures, he does have a tail that is actually, it was, uh, you know, we don't know his full history, but it was broken at some point. And so about halfway down or so his tail, um, it sort of has a right angle to it. Unfortunately, it healed back and it, it was not properly uh, set. And so it healed back crooked. Now, it doesn't cause him any pain. He's not in any pain. There's nothing wrong with it. The vets have checked him out and everything. Uh, veterinary is definitely, you know, obviously he was at that rescue. They took great care of him. And, you know, they checked that out and it's not going to affect him anyway. But, obviously, you know, again, if you see those pictures, you might see that little kink in his tail. Nothing to be concerned about. So uh, we welcome Captain Nemo to the pack. I'm very excited to share that with you guys. My wife and I are thrilled to give him a better life and give him a good home. Um, so, all right, let's dive into today's episode. Let's start with that trivia question. And today's question is, what is the largest reptile in the world? Yes, what is the largest reptile in the world? I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's a segment called Listen to Your Dog. Now, one thing I really love about my job is I can get a lot of information just by listening to a dog. No, I'm not crazy. I'm not actually listening to a dog, guys. I'm not having a conversation with them. There's no such thing as Dr. Doolittle. We cannot actually talk with animals. We can communicate with animals, but we cannot talk with animals. Now, Let's not get into the debate of, hey, what about Coco, the, the gorilla that learned sign language? We're not talking about that today, okay? Uh, greater apes, and that's an argument for a different day that we're not getting into. But as I've said before, guys, vast majority of the animals on this planet, they just don't have the cognitive capabilities that human beings do. You know, they, they just don't, and that's the reality of it. And to me, it, there, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with being able to communicate with an animal on their level, you know? That's really what it is. When someone says, wow, you have such a, you know, you have such an amazing ability to communicate with animals. And you say that about a lot of people and even, even, even a lot of the animal people that we know and love, the famous animal people guys, 
They do. They have a wonderful ability, but they're not speaking with animals. They're not listening to animals in that conventional sense that we think of. What they are doing is they're communicating with those animals in a way that they understand. Animals use body language. Sure, some animals use vocal cues and things like that as well, but it's, it's a lot of body language and subtleties. And it's a lot of these subtleties that I think as human beings, the further we get away from nature, Mother Nature, you know, the further we we get away from working with animals on a daily basis in our lives, the more we put up these, you know, uh, structures and variables and technology and this and that. Here I am talking about that on a podcast, right? (laughs) Kind of ironic. Um, But it's true. If you don't get yourself out there and expose yourself to nature, then we start to lose that ability to communicate and listen to the animals. So I'm not talking some hippy-dippy crazy, I can communicate with animals, man. No, no. <laughs> it's nothing like that, guys. It really isn't. It's, it's not a special power. It's not this like super power to be able to communicate with animals. Really what it is at the end of the day is it's observation, understanding, and patience. That's what it takes to listen to your dog. Really. Observation understanding and understanding really means knowledge knowledge and understanding is really the way we could say it and patience if you really want to listen to your dog you've got to hone in on those things big time big time okay now i I really love my job because i I can learn a lot of information and this is this is just one great thing about i can learn a lot of info just by observing an animal for a couple minutes right um and a lot of people think that they can observe uh, animal behavior without having an understanding of it. And that's to me, that's just not really true. It takes being around them a lot, seeing the pattern, seeing the repetition, working with them in a hands-on, one-on-one way to really, truly have that communication barrier broken down and be able to listen to animals, if you will, okay? Um, but I also like I also like being able to you know communicate, listen to animals because I can also tell if a client's done their homework or not, right? Uh, a dog can also tell me a lot about the first time I meet them at the consultation, just in the first couple minutes. It really their behavior, or excuse me, their body language, really, I am behavior can tell me a lot about what's going on. And then when I come back after a few sessions, or hey, maybe we've had a boot camp and it's been a little while since I've seen you. The dog will tell me if the owner's done their homework or not, <laughs> right? I only have a dog for a couple of weeks. We can make a lot of progress in behavior in a couple of weeks. But if people don't continue that training, continue to reinforce and strengthen these behaviors, then, you know, it doesn't always stick as well. <laughs> so it's awesome that these dogs actually will tell me when, when my clients have done their homework or not. <laughs> so again, it's not this this hippy-dippy communicate, listen to your dog thing. Instead, it's understanding the principles of psychology, how animals learn, and that's really what makes it easy to listen to them. Okay, that's that's really how we do it. Uh, like I said, nothing special, nothing crazy here. It's knowledge. And un- it's just like anything in life. Having knowledge and understanding is is power, right? Knowledge is power. I love saying that. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. So, Having that understanding of the basic psychology one on one is so important. Now, listen, uh, if you haven't if you haven't gone back and listened to my episodes on it, uh, there is a episode called Dog Psychology One Hundred and One. Covers a lot of the basics. Really good stuff there. One of my favorite episodes that I've done though is the positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment episode. That's a phenomenal one too. That goes more in depth on it. 
I'm going to try to kind of surface level hash, rehash. It's been a hot minute. It has, since I've really kind of talked about some basics like 101 concepts. Uh, I've kind of said, hey, go back and listen. So we're, we're going to try to hash on it real quick here. Um, but it's kind of hard. <laughs> it's kind of hard to run through it too quickly. I usually spend a good 20, 30 minutes at the first session with my clients going over a lot of this info. Um, it's, it's not complicated stuff, guys. It really isn't, but it's so important. Without this, I don't think you can truly listen and communicate with your dog very well. It's just, you can't. Okay. So let, let's go over it as fast as we can here. Really quick, really quick. Let's see. All right. When it comes to animals, every animal on this planet, whether it be a dog, a cat, a bird, an otter, a raccoon, a pig, your husband, your children, <laughs> your spouse, whatever it, it may be, uh, every animal on this planet, we learn the same way. Yes. Every animal on this planet, we all, we all learn the same way. When it comes down to it, guys, behavior is either going to be reinforced and strengthened or punished and it decreases, okay? Reinforcement increases behavior, punishment decreases behavior. It's that simple, okay? The only thing that changes animal to animal and even, you know, individual to individual is motivation. What motivates you is not necessarily what's going to motivate the next person, right? Um, so what you view as punishment, the next person might not. What you view as reinforcement, the next person might not. So it's important that we understand, again, these basic concepts of what reinforcement is, what punishment is, how motivation comes into play, and how we can manipulate those in order to train and work cohesively, uh, whether it be with your spouse, <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, or your dog, or your bird, or your cat, or any animal you work with, okay? So... Like I said, simply put, reinforcement increases behavior, punishment decreases behavior. Now, quick definitions here. The definition of punishment is anything an animal works to avoid, okay? Now, a punishment is a consequence. Punishment, consequence, same thing here, okay? Anything an animal works to avoid. Again, really quick, when I'm driving down the street, I work to avoid getting a ticket by driving the speed limit. Therefore, tickets a form of punishment to me. Notice it's not anything physical, it's not anything horrible, but I work to avoid it. Therefore, by definition, it's a form of punishment, okay? The same could be said with anything. Little kids usually work to avoid getting sent to their room. Little kids work to avoid getting grounded. Little kids work to avoid getting their allowance taken away, okay? These are all forms of punishment that are not anything physical, but simply put, they meet the definition. The animal, the child, <laughs> they work to avoid it, therefore it's a punishment. Now, side note on punishment real quick, guys. A punishment is only a punishment if an animal works to avoid it. Just because you intend for it to be a punishment does not mean it is. It only is a punishment if the animal works to avoid it, okay? Now, over to the reinforcement side, right? We talked about punishment there. Punishment's how we get behavior to decrease. How do we get behaviors to increase? Well, we do it through positive and negative reinforcement. Yes. Anything you think you know. If you haven't listened to this podcast yet, guys, anything you think you know about positive and negative reinforcement, get rid of it. Throw it away. Forget forget it. Forget you think you know anything because you most likely don't. Uh, no offense to anybody, but unfortunately, society as a whole has really screwed these terms up. They really have. I mean, just terrible. Just terrible. Okay? So let's let's dispel the the rumors and the misinformation that's out there about positive and negative reinforcement. Here's the first thing we need to understand. First thing, positive and negative in the science world, psychology, the science world, they don't mean good and bad. 
You heard me right. Positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, they don't mean good and bad. They don't mean happy and sad. They don't mean anything emotional. As a matter of fact, in the science world, guys, as we know it, positive means addition, negative means subtraction. Positive means adding something, negative means removing something. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not more complicated than that. There's no emotions to it. So the definition of positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus. We're adding something. The addition of a stimulus in order to increase a desired behavior. As I said before, reinforcement increases behavior. Therefore, adding a stimulus to increase a behavior is positive reinforcement. So obviously, right, negative reinforcement is going to be the removal of a stimulus in order to increase a desired behavior. Right about now is when I get the, David, what are you talking about? This is getting really confusing because <laughs> this is, this is a little tricky, a little tricky. So let's, I'm trying to run through this in speed mode here. So we're going to, we're going to keep, keep going here. Okay. So if an animal does a behavior, I don't like, I need to punish it in order to get that behavior to decrease. Once the animal stops doing the undesired behavior, then I need to remove the punishment, right? I don't want to keep punishing an animal that's not doing anything wrong. So we have to remove that punishment. The removal of punishment in order to increase a desired behavior is negative reinforcement, right? I just said a second ago, the removal of a stimulus to increase a desired behavior, okay? So we use a form of punishment in order to decrease a behavior, and then we remove that punishment to increase the desired behavior, to negatively reinforce that behavior. Now, let's say the animal continues doing the desired behavior, then I want to positively reinforce the behavior, then I want to add a stimulus to increase that desired behavior. Simply put, guys... Punishment tells an animal what we don't like and decreases the undesired behavior. Removing the punishment once they are doing what we like is uh, negatively reinforces the behavior in order to increase that behavior. Then if the animal keeps doing what we like, we want to positively reinforce the behavior by adding a stimulus to tell them the way I look at it, positive reinforcement means keep doing that. Keep doing that. You want to try to reinforce, positively reinforce especially, you want to try to reinforce in general as much desired behavior as you possibly can. The more you reinforce desired behavior, the more likely your dog will repeat that behavior. Now, here's the thing about side notes about reinforcement, right? We can, yes, we can. I don't want you to, but you can. You can positive and negatively reinforce undesired behaviors. We watch people do it all the time, right? Maybe a dog is jumping all over somebody and they go, hey, good boy, good girl. I don't mind a dog jumping on me they're reinforcing that behavior, right? They're strengthening it. You don't want to reinforce undesired behaviors. You only want to reinforce desired behaviors. Okay, Whew. I'm sorry. That was the quick version. That's about as quick as I can... <laughs> That's about as quick as I can run through Dog Psychology 101. All right, let's get back to listening to your dog. But there it is. I, I, I can't stress it enough, though. That, that, that core information, that core information of Psychology 101, guys, and how animals learn... I cannot stress it enough. It's so important that you have an understanding of that because without that, without that, you can't truly listen to your dog. You may be able to a little bit. You may be able to get somewhere in your training. I've seen animal trainers who don't understand these concepts and they, they, get, they get somewhere with their training. But man, imagine how much further they could get if they actually knew what the hell they were doing. You know, I mean, <laughs> call me crazy feels like you should have an understanding of what you're doing. And in having that understanding, you're going to be able to listen to your dog, listen to your animal so much better, guys, so much better. I, uh, it's, it's, I, I just, I want to scream it from the rooftops that you need to understand this stuff if you want to hear your dog. Yeah. 
You have to understand how your dog learns if you want to truly listen to them, have a relationship with them, quote unquote, hear them, okay? So by observing their behavior, by assessing what they're doing, by, by, by looking at them, you can start to understand, should I reinforce, should I punish, okay? This is really what I talk about with listening to your dog. Look, one of the greatest examples, um, because, especially because I did a segment on it, the front door, right? The front door. What a great segment. Uh, most people have issues with the front door. The dog is getting overexcited or jumping on people or barking relentlessly or the slew of issues we get with the front door because the front door is very exciting. <laughs> they either get to go outside through the front door or people come to the front door that are exciting. Packages come to the, the doorbell. There's always excitement with the door. Friends come over. The front door is an exciting thing. And it's one of the best examples of how to listen to your dog from a training standpoint. Okay, so let's let's kind of talk talk about this a second. Now that we have an understanding again of the psychological principles, we're going to apply them in a way that's listening to our dog at the front door. Okay, so ideally, ideally, here's how it goes: the doorbell rings, my dog barks at the door. I say, "Hey, come!" They recall off the door. They come to me. I put them in a sit and stay about 15, 20 feet away from the door. I walk over to the door, I answer the door, I invite my guest in, they come in, I say hello, my dog continues to sit and stay. Then once I feel ready, it's appropriate, I release my dog to come say hello. They'll come over with a wagging tail, nothing crazy, just a nice wagging tail, they're happy, they're excited, not overexcited. They greet my guest, they sniff them hello, all is well, they turn and walk away. My guest comes in the house, no big deal. That's how it should go. But in order to get there, you have to listen to your dog. (laughs) In order to train your dog, you have to listen to your dog. So here's what I mean, guys. Obviously, your dog being calm and your dog sitting and staying is something we want to reinforce and strengthen, right? So if my dog is being good at the front door and sitting and staying, I can say, hey, go boy, or give them a treat, or give them a pet, or anything to reinforce the behavior, right? Or letting them say hi, just letting them say hello, as we've talked about, can be a form of reinforcement. So what if they're not doing the right thing? What if they're barking? What if they're whining? What if they're jumping? What if they're not even focused on you? What if they're like a half a foot out in front of you and they don't really care about anything you have to say because they're too busy staring down the person at the door? I see people all the time who end up reinforcing those behaviors, right? I'll give you an example. I mean, I, I, you know, this one dog... He gets very excited at the front door. And like I said, it's a common problem, you know. Uh, He gets excited at the front door and he'll start whining. And the owner will look at him. He's sitting and he's looking up at the owner looking at me, looking up at the owner looking at me, looking up at the owner looking at me. And the owner will go, good boy, good boy. But he's whining the whole time. He's whining. And clearly he's, he's, he's frantically looking at her looking at me, looking at her looking at me, looking at her looking at me. So you're listening. What you're listening to your dog in that moment is your dog is being anxious. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm observing in their behavior. I'm observing anxiety. And so the last thing I want to do is reinforce that anxiety. But if you aren't truly listening to your dog's behavior in that moment and what they're giving off while they're sitting, that's, that's what I'll hear a lot. I'll hear that a lot. You know, where I go, hey, he's, he's whining. Like, you don't want to reinforce that. I go, well, but he's sitting. I, don't I need to reinforce that? <laughs> On day one, yes. <laughs> 
we're not on day one anymore. And you're just reinforcing that anxiety. And you're just making that dog more and more and more and more anxious because you're literally telling your dog, hey, keep doing that. 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 <laughs> and the dog is frantic and looking at me and why look at her and why looking at me and why look at the you have to listen to your dog's behavior if you want to change its behavior. The question you always have to ask yourself is, do I want this behavior to repeat? Do I want this behavior to happen again? And if the answer is yes, then by all means, reinforce it. But if the answer is no, <laughs> if you're trying to get your dog to calm down in an instance, then you can't reinforce overexcited or anxious behaviors. You just can't do it. So you, I, I implore all of you, please, if, you're, if you want your dog's behavior, if you want something in your dog's behavior to stop, then in that moment, you have to ask yourself, do I want this to stop? <laughs> do I want this behavior to decrease? Aha. I know by the rules of psychology, in order to get a behavior to decrease, I have to punish this behavior. So I can't say good boy. I can't give him a treat. I can't pet him on the head because otherwise I'm strengthening and reinforcing that anxious and overexcited and crazy nuts behavior. Listen to your dog and what they're telling you. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to make my dogs anxious. I don't. I don't. And look, you know, as I said at the beginning of this episode, we we've, we got another new dog. Um... And yeah, he's, he's one of the, you know, he's, he's a blue tick coonhound guys. He is a active dog. And unfortunately this dog hasn't been given the proper home yet. Hasn't been given the proper structure. And my goodness, the shelter we got him from, they're amazing. They were working with him. They're doing incredible things, but it's a huge facility. Um, and, and any rescue facility is still going to put some stress on a dog. You know, it's, 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 it can be a lot. Um, and of course he got adopted out twice and then returned and that instability can be kind of tough on the dog too. Um, but the point I'm trying to get to is bringing him home and listening, you know, he, he's pacing around the guys. I mean, I just want to be honest. He's pacing around the house a lot and I'm having to stop that pacing. I'm listening to him. He's anxious. And if I go over to him and go, oh, good boy, it's okay, good boy, it's all I'm going to do is make him more anxious. I have to listen to what his behavior is telling me. And if I don't want that behavior to increase, then I have to punish it. And it's simply very easy to punish it. I just kind of grab his collar and make him stop pacing for a minute, calm him down. Not by, not by coddling him, but by forcing him to relax, by not letting him pace, by only giving him the option to relax. Once he relaxes, then you bet your butt I'm reinforcing. Look, he's right here in the room with me during this recording right now. He is absolutely passed out on this dog bed here. And that's not by coincidence. This was not day one. When I was recording last week when we first got him, um, we haven't had him that long. We really haven't. Uh, but when I first got him, you know, it, it, trying to get him to sit still in this room with me while recording was impossible. Today, it took 30 seconds, you know, all because... I have not reinforced his anxious behavior. I've listened to his body language and what he's telling me. And the poor guy is like screaming out for structure. He's screaming out for someone to say, hey, please help me stop this. I don't know how to. Uh, if he could talk, which he can't. And we know this. Uh, but that's that's sort of if we want to translate it to human emotions in English, that's, that's what he'd be saying, right? Um, so I have to listen to him and I have to know what I want to reinforce and what I want to punish. Again, this is, this is what I... What I love about what I do, guys, is, it, again, it's not rocket science. It's not complicated stuff, but you have to have that patience. You have to have that knowledge and understanding, right? 
You have to be able to tap into this stuff down to their level as a dog. Understand the rules of psychology behind it. Understand a dog's body language and behavior and be able to know what I should reinforce and what I should punish. I don't want an anxious dog. It's not that I'm being selfish and I don't want an anxious dog. I don't want my dog to feel anxious. I don't want my animals to feel anxious. And the only way to get your animal, the only way to get your dog to not feel anxious is to have an understanding of what they are at their core and be able to tap into that, be able to understand it, be able to have the patience to deal with it, you know? Uh, be able to listen to your dog and know what information you as the owner need to give back. So please, I implore all of you guys, listen to your dogs in a healthy way. Do it in a way that's understanding of their language, of their body language, and what their needs are first. If you do that, I promise, I promise your relationship will be enhanced with your dog and they will be much happier and much healthier. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the largest reptile in the world? Coming in at lengths at over 23 feet and weighing in at over 2,200 pounds, it's the saltwater crocodile. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's Zoom calls without your dog. How many of you out there have been on a Zoom call and all you can hear is somebody else's dog in the background constantly barking? Okay, first of all, guys, mute. Mute your microphone. <laughs> If you're not talking, please, you're on a Zoom call, just mute the darn mic. I mean, come on. Oh my goodness, I have to be that guy to scream it. Mute the microphone when you're not talking. Nobody wants to hear what's going on in your house. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, this has been an issue that's been coming up. And quite frankly, this has actually been an issue before Zoom calls were even a thing. Phone calls. I, I've had clients in the past where they have said they can be on the phone and the dog doesn't like it. I'll come over and bark incessantly at them or, or, or obsessively try to bring a toy over and play with them. So really, this is actually a control issue, right? This is a control issue. And it's no different when we're on a Zoom call and we have a dog barking at us, okay, or barking in the background. So I could easily guess that there are other control issues that are going on with this dog and this owner. And one of them just happens to be bleeding over into the Zoom call. So 
you know, clearly a behavioral issue. And like I said, I've had more than one of my clients uh, dealing with this lately. And one of my clients in particular, you know, she's doing phenomenal with her training. She, we had a boot camp with him. I, I, I brag about this dog because I just love him. Uh, and he was, it was a great transformation. It really was from where he started. And the owner's really been, she's been working at it. She's been working her butt off, really implementing the rules, keeping everything strict. And it's paying off because he's being phenomenal. He's such a little sweetheart of a dog now, a little bulldog puppy. I love him. And, you know, she's been having this issue with the Zoom call all of a sudden because her company's going back to the Zoom calls. Um, but but control was one of the issues that we we had with him to begin with. I mean, it really came down to he, he was a very controlling puppy with some feisty issues. And for the most part, it's really gone. So it's not a surprise we're seeing it bubble up maybe here, maybe there. And this is just one of those issues that we got to deal with as he gets a little older. And it's nothing crazy. He's just being a little demanding and being acting like a little bulldog puppy, right? Um, so how do we curb this? You know, and that's that was one of the questions she asked me in the most recent session was, how do we get rid of this? And she was already on the right track. She was doing a couple good things. And so that's what we're going to talk about is how, how do we how do we stop this kind of stuff? Because a lot of us out there are on Zoom calls all the time or these these teleconference video calls. And, you know, you can't really help everything going on in the background. And you can also try some of these techniques on your children as well. That might work, too. <laughs> but the first thing here, guys, is it's, it's exercise. It's what I always go back to. It's what I always talk about. It's one of the most most basic and foundational ways that we're going to start with our training and just exercise your dog right before the call. Right, that's really the best way. Go for a nice, big, long walk. It's the age-old solution of walking your dog. It works wonders. It gets your dog tired, and when they come back, all they're going to want to do is take a nap. And if they're going to want to take a nap, they're not going to want to bother you on your call. That's the most ideal way to deal with it. So take that walk right before your call. Now, problem with this is sometimes, what if you're like me? It's August. It's Florida, and your call happens to be at 3 p.m. You can't exactly take your dog out for a walk at two o'clock in the afternoon down here. It's just, it's not safe. It's too hot. Um, so what do you do? Well, you should have taken your walk, your dog for a walk first thing in the morning, right? There's no excuse. You can go early. It's still hot and humid and horrible. I mean, I, I swear sometimes at 6am it's hotter here than it is at 10am. It's nuts, but it's better than the sun being up and the pavement is safe to walk on. So while it still might be hot, uh, you got to do it. So you have to at least get that initial morning walk, get that initial amount of energy down. That's going to help contribute. But look, if you can't take your dog for a walk right before the call, playtime. Playtime is one of those great um, supplementals, not substitutes, right? We, we all know it. Playtime is never a substitute for a walk, right? That's why you have to start with the walk in the morning. Uh, but then some playtime right before, getting them really tired, getting them exhausted, uh, you know, making sure you're getting them nice and um, um, sleepy. <laughs> really, that's what we're trying to get out of here. Get your dog tired. Okay, so we can try that. But let's say it's not enough. Let's say that even with all this exercise, your dog is still coming back and, and trying to bother you and bark. And, and then, it, then it's, then it's got to go for more of the training standpoint, and we have to take the training approach. Now, the first thing we want to try is redirecting the behavior. I would recommend you practice this with a practice Zoom call, right? A friend, a family member in another room might work, um, but get on a Zoom call with somebody you know. That way it's not like a work Zoom call and you're not having to practice and train your dog in the middle of work. <laughs> uh, so do a practice Zoom call. Now, you want to leash your dog up. You all know my leash and collar. I love it. Regular six-foot nylon leash, 
martingale collar. That's what you should be using uh, for the most part, depending upon the age, breed, all that good stuff of your dog. Um, but have that leash and collar on. Make that Zoom call. When your dog starts to act up, starts to bark, starts to pester, whatever it does, you're going to get up, pick up the leash, guide them away. Now, in the past, I've talked about teaching a go on command. So you can teach your dog go on kind of means give me space. Another handy thing, teaching your dog a spot or a place. Now, we've definitely talked about that. Using a dog bed, a mat, something, even even a carpet, a rug. um, We can teach them to go to a certain specific place and stay there. So if you've worked this place, this spot with your dog, you can pick up that leash, guide them away, say, hey, go to your spot, stay, right? Now, if they're a puppy, there's nothing wrong with giving them a chew toy, bully stickers, or something that's going to occupy them and keep them busy for a while. I have no problem redirecting to a toy on a spot. That's really healthy. That's teaching them to go do something on their own, give you space, leave you alone, and not bother you while you're doing this call. Okay, so I really don't have an issue with that. So again, especially if your dog is a puppy, there's really nothing wrong with that. Your puppies have ADD, man. They they need something to do. So I don't have a problem with combining that place or spot command and then reinforcing it with a treat and then reinforcing it again with a toy. Okay, no, no, no worries there. That'd be awesome. But this doesn't always work. You know, as I've talked about, I try to redirect behaviors as much as I possibly can, and then reinforce and strengthen once we get a desired behavior after that redirection. The problem is redirections are not always enough to get an animal to stop because by the rules of psychology, you know, great, all all the the segments are kind of touching today on each other and it's wonderful because we talked about the psychology 101 briefly earlier and of course talked about our previous segments. Um, But really guys, at the end of the day, the only way to really get behavior to decrease is through some form of punishment. Anything an animal works to avoid doesn't have to be horrible. Ash on it again. Uh, but yeah, you know, the only way to get a behavior to really go down. So if these redirections don't work, our only option is to take it up to a punishment then. Okay. So we've started with just picking up the leash and collar, you know, and, and just, just guiding them away nicely. Now, if again, these redirections don't work, there's nothing wrong with taking it up to a small collar correction. These martingale collars are designed very well and in a way that humanely can correct an animal, uh, correct a dog in a way that they naturally understand by mimicking that natural nip to the neck, okay? So there's nothing wrong with making small corrections on your dog. So we tried those redirections. We throw that direction first, try the redirections, go that direction. There you go. If redirections fail, then by the rules of psychology, we have to use some form of punishment in order to get that behavior to decrease, Now, look, even just creating separation by putting a dog on a spot and telling them stay, that can even be a form of punishment. Sometimes that alone can work. That redirection, sort of a punishment at the same time. Not going to dive off into that today. But again, guys, if it's following that rule of anything and then works to avoid, even though it's nothing harsh and crazy, still a punishment by definition. Okay. All right. So, again, uh, you can use the rules of psychology here to understand. Now, this, this even ties into the first segment even better here. Because here's the thing, if a redirection fails, then the rule, again, the rules of psychology tell me, I have to use a punishment. This really speaks to that first segment of listening to our dogs, right? If the behavior doesn't decrease by redirecting and reinforcing being on the bed, um, then I have to utilize a punishment. You have to listen to what your dog's behavior is telling you. If your dog is doing a behavior that's desired that you like, well, then guess what? You have to reinforce it. You listen to your dog's behavior. If your dog is doing something you don't like, then you have to get it to decrease. By the rules of psychology, you have to redirect or punish that behavior. 
by listening to my dog, I can actually train them. And it's no difference in this instance with the Zoom call. Okay, so again, we can start by trying to redirect that behavior a little bit using the collar corrections, using a go on command, using a place or a spot command. Definitely can reinforce it with treats when they get on that bed. We can, especially with a puppy, we can give them a chew toy, something that's uh, that's distracting, that's going to keep them occupied for a good amount of time. But at the end of the day, if these don't work, then we have to go back to the rules of psychology, and the only way to get a behavior to decrease is through some form of punishment. Now, one other option of punishment we can utilize, and this is what my uh, what my client was starting to do, and it was starting to work, crating. I don't really have a problem. It's, it's not my, I'll admit, it's not my go-to when I say this, but if utilized properly, it can be done correctly. Crates are not always my go-to for punishment. I worry, and this is more, again, you have to keep in mind, my rules are generalized for the average person. I can't just, you know, like say, yes, you should use a crate for punishment because I, you know, I got news for you. Not everybody's going to use it properly. And so the tools that I feel like that can be misused more easily I tend to stray away from for certain things. I use crate for reinforcement as a comfortable place to, to give my dog something they like, um, but I don't tend to use it as much for punishment. Occasionally I will, but again, utilize correctly. So she was actually doing it correctly and that's why I didn't have a problem with it, but you can use the crate. Put them in the crate, let them stay in there until they relax. Once they stop barking and yelling at you, guess what? Boom, let them out of the crate. If they start barking and yelling at you again, boom, right back in the crate. Same thing. They calm down. We let them out of the crate. Very black and white. You bark at me, you get something you don't want. Punishment. Anything an animal works to avoid, they want to avoid going in that crate. So they're going to stop yelling at you. Okay. Black and white. Make it simple and easy for your dog to understand. Okay. You can provide punishments that are, are simply boundary based. And that's why I don't have that problem with the crate, but you don't want to overuse a crate as punishment. You don't want your dog to work to avoid the crate too much, right? Uh, so it's it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one. That's a fine line. So again, that's kind of why I say go to the redirections with the leash and collar first, trying to use that spot command, the go on command. Then we can always take it up to a collar correction punishment, saying no. You can say no when making a collar correction. No. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But don't forget, even if we use a collar correction, we punish the behavior and they, and they stop barking, please don't forget to reinforce once they go lay down on that bed and leave you alone. Once they stop barking, once they're quiet, make sure you praise them, give them food, reinforce and strengthen those behaviors. Okay. We're human beings. We're really good at focusing on the bad stuff. Make sure you focus on the good stuff as well. The stuff you like, the desired behaviors, always, always, always reinforce any desired behavior you see in your dog. Okay. So really that's how you have to do it. You have to set up a fake zoom call <laughs> to trick your dog into doing the wrong behavior and then teach them and show them the right behavior. Just like with anything with training guys, um, you have to be able to set up and control the variables first. So that way, when you are in that moment, when you're, when you're on an office call and you're giving a presentation and your dog starts yelling, that's not going to happen, right? Because you've set them up to fail. You've controlled it. You've taught them the right thing to do. And that way, when you do get on that call, you're not going to have that problem. So remember, set your dog up, teach them what you like, teach them what you don't like using the basics of psychology. And I promise you, your dog will stop yelling at you in no time. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Australian Cattle Dog. Now, last week I did a segment on DNA in dogs, and I revealed my puppy Riker uh, his DNA results. And as you know, you might have heard, he came back with a lot of different breeds. <laughs> yeah, he's quite a mix, quite a mutt. 
And, uh, you know, what he was the majority of was he was almost 40% American Pit Bull Terrier. So last week, the breed of the week was the American Pit Bull Terrier. This week, I'm going to run down the list, or excuse me, each week following, I'm going to run down the list of different breeds for the breed of the week that he is. And so today, we're talking about the Australian Cattle Dog, and Commander Riker is 12.8% Australian Cattle Dog. Now, these dogs, they are a member of the herding group, and they are definitely a working dog through and through. They can get anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. They are loyal, confident, and alert, and the Australian Cattle Dog has been bred for his namesake, right? They are an amazing herding dog, and they were specifically created to uh, herd cattle in Australia's vast open spaces. Now, they're also known as the Blue Healer, the Queensland Healer, and they are related to Australia's wild dog, the Dingo. Now, there are working breeds, and then there are breeds like the Australian Cattle Dog. Working is in their blood. They need a job to do, and they're going to thrive best on a farm or ranch. Now, when not given a proper job, these guys can become very destructive. So it's important that they have a job to do. They're mentally and physically stimulated. When not living on a farm, they can also thrive with many other different tasks, such as obedience, agility, fly ball, flying disc competitions, coursing, and luring. Now, while they are bred to work, they can also be great family dogs. You know, after a day out working in the fields or just being put to work in general, they can come home and they're known for being affectionate with their owners, protective over their families, and even good with kids. However, these guys are called a healer for a reason. They were taught to nip at the heels of cattle in order to herd them. Now, these nipping tendencies, they need to be trained and controlled, so proper socialization from an early age can help eliminate these undesired behaviors. There are a few health concerns to be aware of. Deafness and PRA, or progressive retinal atrophy, can be common, and responsible breeders will screen for these issues. They can also be prone to hip and elbow issues as well. Kept in good health, though, they can live to 12, uh, from 12 to 15 years old. Now, the history of the Australian cattle dog started when there was a need for a hardy dog that could withstand Australia's harsh climates and unforgiving terrain and also be able to successfully herd cattle across the vast expanses. In the early 1800s, settlers made their way inland across the continent's western grasslands, uh, you know, the interiors, which was ideal for raising cattle. Now, the first dogs brought over, they were from England, and they were a breed known as the Smithfield. These dogs were really just, they weren't well suited for the rough terrain, the intense heat, or really just the vast distances needed to cover these large ranches. So, you know, began the process of crossbreeding, and Smithfield was originally bred with the Dingo. Now, other English breeds were brought into the mix, such as the Scottish Highland Terrier, and there was even one man by the name of George Elliott of Queensland. Now, he's been credited as a key contributor uh, to the cattle dog's breeding effort when he was breeding dingoes with collies and selling these puppies to farmers. The Australian cattle dog was then perfected even more when Dalmatians were brought into the picture. As we talked about on a previous breed of the week, we know that the Dalmatian was bred to run alongside carriages, being comfortable, and being able to run with the horses and that helped add some confidence to the breed as well. The addition of a sheepdog would further contribute to making this breed the perfect herding dog that we know today. The Australian Cattle Dog was admitted to the AKC in 1980, and they were even a charter member of the AKC Herding Group upon their founding in 1983. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Connie from Ocala, Florida. Connie says, 
My dog loves to swim, but maybe a little too much. She's a yellow lab and we don't mind her swimming in the pool, but she chooses when she wants to go in and I can't stop her. What can I do to get her to stop? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is a little difficult sometimes because, you know, you have a yellow lab. <laughs> That's what they're meant to do. And then once they do it a bunch, it, it can be hard to undo. It's not the easiest thing. Uh, but not impossible. It's not impossible. It, it is definitely going to be a multi-step process to get them to stop. I mean, look, you can do it relatively easy, relatively quickly, should I say, but it's going to take some work, okay? Um, first thing is if your dog knows a leave it command, that'll help. If your dog knows a stay command, that'll help, okay? Uh, that's the first thing I'll say. <laughs> the next is you cannot take your dog outside on the patio, around the pool, wherever the pool is. Your dog cannot be out there, number one, unsupervised, and number two, off leash. Your dog now has to live on a leash outside, okay? I know it's not what you want to hear. Hopefully, you know, you're, look, you're in Ocala, so chances are your pool is probably screened in, so at least you can still go in your backyard and let your dog off and let them run outside, but I'm going to be honest, it's going to be very difficult to control this if you don't just keep your dog leashed up around the pool for, pool for a little while, okay? So those are the first two things, a leave it and a stay. The next thing you're going to want your dog to know is a release command, and all right, because obviously you want your dog to be able to go in the pool, and that release word, that release command, that's what my, my command is, all right, for it, uh, the word all right, uh, you, you need to be able to convey to your dog, hey, now is the time for you to go in the pool. All right, release, done. Okay, but if you don't have that word, it makes it a little harder. So again, a stay, a leave it, and a release or an all right command. Okay, those are going to be really important in your training. So yeah, multi-step process. <laughs> You're going to need to teach your dog to leave it, leave the pool using your leash and collar. You can make a small correction, redirect them away when they walk away from the pool. When she walks away from the pool, you give her a treat and reward it for the leave it. Good, leave it. Okay. Same thing. Approach the pool again. If she decides to try to go into the pool, you redirect her using that collar, maybe a small correction, redirecting her away from the pool when she starts walking away and toward you. Feed it with a treat, say good girl, reinforce it. The idea here is we're teaching her restraint, right? We're teaching her to not go in that pool. That's where it has to start, teaching her to not go in the pool. Once she understands she's not supposed to go in there, once you see her after a couple days of rinse and repeating this, uh, this process, what you're going to see is when you take her out there, she's going to start losing interest in the pool. Or she'll walk over to the pool and decide no and walk away instead. Again, you're still leashing her up, but you can give her a little more leash, a little looser leash to see what the decision she's going to make. Once you see these conscious decisions of, eh, I don't really want to go in the pool, I'm, I'm good, now you're getting somewhere. Continue to reinforce, continue to strengthen that behavior. And all this time, by the way, sorry, side note, important detail, you cannot let her swim for a little while. I know, I know, you don't want to take that away from her, but you have to for a little bit. Not going to be long. As long as you do this consistently and quickly, it won't be long, but you don't want to let her in that pool because you need to teach her what leave it, what stay, what not going in the pool means first, okay? Once this is all crystal clear to her, then we can start to release her in the pool only when you want, only occasionally, maybe once a week to start with, right? Giving her that playtime only once a week, and then the other day she's not allowed in, continuing to leash her up, continuing to teach her to leave it, continuing to reinforce and create that structure you've been doing. I promise you, before you know it, 
she's going to know she's not allowed to go in that pool until you release her, okay? Look, we've got a screened-in porch back here with a pool, and new dogs that come in, they that, that end up loving the pool, they have to learn. They have to understand you don't go in until I release you. Now, luckily, my pack of dogs know the rules. My dogs know the rules. So it does make it a bit easier when you have a dog who understands it already and kind of teaches them. They follow makes it easier. Um, but it's not impossible. It really isn't. You can teach dogs to, to, to not do it when they, when they haven't known how to. So, uh, like I said, kind of a multi-step process there. I know there's a few things to it. You have to be strict about it. Yes. You have to take away the pool for a little while, but I promise you, you stick to that routine. Boom. No problem. You'll have your dog knowing when they're allowed to go in. Next question. This comes from Matthew from Knoxville, Tennessee. Matthew says, what is the most intelligent animal you have worked with? Cool question, Matthew. Uh, yeah, no, I've worked with a couple very, I mean, really smart, smart, you know, uh, animals. Obviously, dogs are very smart. Um, but I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of really intelligent birds. I've worked with, you know, obviously parrots, macaws, cockatoos, a little bit of work with African greys, um, Amazons, you know, really, really smart birds, and they do have very high processing capabilities. You know, macaws actually have the intelligence of about a four-year-old child, tantrums of a two-year-old, I always say, but, uh, so it's really a lot of fun. Birds are very quick, so they're, they're really smart, really fast, and they're very, very cool to work with crows. I got to work with crows a bit as well, cravens, uh, crow-raven mix, crows, uh, highly just, wow, I mean, blown away by how smart those birds are. Um, definitely, you know, top 10 uh, intelligent animals on the planet or where the crows are. And I got to work with primates a bit as well. Definitely got to do some work with some monkeys and as well an orangutan. Uh, did a little bit of work with some orangutans, uh, one in particular. And definitely that was the the smartest animal I ever got a chance to work with. So a uh, cool question. And, you know, it, it, all animals are smart in their own right. They really are. They all have their own level of intelligence and, and capabilities. And quite frankly, they're all amazing and humbling. But when you start to get to that level of, 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 of watching, you know, watching the, the wheels turn behind the eyes, watching that brain work, watching them plan and think ahead, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling as a, as a human being that um, we are surrounded by such amazing creatures that can do such amazing things. So cool question. Um, I like that today. So uh, thanks. Hey, keep the questions coming in. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q and a, again, it doesn't have to be dog related. It could be animal related or training or anything you guys want. You know, I love them. Keep them coming at me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to click that subscribe or follow button. A very special thank you to the Big Dog Ranch Rescue for helping us add a new addition to our pack, Captain Nemo. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.